It is a blessing to look out and see an audience that's full, that the, uh, everyone's eyes are focused on studying God's Word together. And this morning, we're going to study the subject of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain to you why I've chosen this lesson for this morning. On Wednesday evenings, we have been studying the various denominations that are in our community and that are in our area. As we have studied through those lessons, we have made mention of the fact that there are many of those religious groups that have misunderstandings with regards to this person of the Godhead. Several of you have asked me, would I deliver a lesson specifically on the Holy Spirit addressing these issues and to try to be able to understand better what the New Testament teaches about the role of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the purpose of our lesson this morning. I will tell you there's always many questions about the Spirit. Some of those questions are, is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is the Holy Spirit just a force? Is the Holy Spirit a member of the Godhead? Or is the Holy Spirit, for instance, simply the actions of the Father here on the earth? How does the Holy Spirit help man? Is that help miraculous? Does the Holy Spirit work a miracle on me, causing me to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Does the Holy Spirit somehow convict me of my sins in a miraculous type way? How does the Holy Spirit indwell man? Is he within me? Do I become deity if the Holy Spirit dwells within me? What do I really need to know about the Holy Spirit? Is it really important for me to know these things? One of the pioneer preachers used to make the point that the denominational world is enamored with the subject of the Holy Spirit. And too often we ourselves are silent. We let the world teach people about the Holy Spirit and we ourselves do not say much, if anything, at all. So for the next few minutes, I'd like for us to talk about the who of the Holy Spirit. Who is he? Number two, I would like for us to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. What does he do as the Bible reveals it? And number three, the walk in the Holy Spirit. That is, following his guidance and his lead. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of who. And the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. The Spirit is a He and not an It. The Bible clearly teaches us in John 16 and verse 13, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. I don't know how the Holy Spirit, in inspiring men to write, 
could have put it any plainer than that. Emphasizing the word he, that he is a person. He is often spoken of in relationship to both the Father and the Son. There are so many passages that are in this realm that there's no way that I could uh, just survey them all in this lesson. But let me just point out to you the passage that Brother Chuck read just a few moments ago. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That indicates that the three are joined together with this conjunction and that you have all three personalities of the Godhead. The passage that to me perhaps makes it the clearest that they are distinct is found in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22 at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. The text records, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you will observe for just a moment, Jesus was in the water. The voice was coming from the Father from heaven. The Holy Spirit was descending, in this case, bodily form like a dove. So you have all three members of the Godhead. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul will give seven ones there. He will say, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all, through all, and in you all. Many years ago, when I was probably about 18, a group of us who were students at Freed Hardeman University drove to Ripley, Mississippi to hear Brother Alan Hires in a debate. He was debating a man who was a oneness Pentecostal. And he would say there's only one member of the Godhead. There's only one personality in the Godhead. And Brother Alan Hires took an old chalkboard, pulled it up, took a piece of chalk, and he wrote on the board Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and he underlined the word spirit. He underlined the word Lord, and he underlined the word God and Father there. And he says, how many does that make? There are three members of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are some specific things that show that the Spirit is more than just an influence. For instance, the Spirit speaks expressly. To speak expressly means in so many words. That's not just some sort of influence. For instance, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit 
expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. If I tell you I expressly want you to do this, then I have put it in so many words. That's the way the Spirit speaks. He not only speaks expressly himself, he empowers others to speak. Mark twelve thirty six. For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Notice David spoke by means of the Holy Spirit. Mark thirteen eleven. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you shall speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now that's pretty certain, pretty clear. That it's not just some sort of force that is behind these people. It is the Holy Spirit himself who is doing the speaking. The Holy Spirit reveals the future. In Luke 2.26, with regards to the birth of Christ, and it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You have to understand that the Holy Spirit is that great revealer. The Holy Spirit also is capable of forbidding. For instance, someone may forbid you to go to a certain location or forbid you to do something. In Acts 16 and verse 6, Luke records, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Notice the Holy Spirit would not permit them, but forbidding is in the sense of verbal. You can't go. And according to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it was the Holy Spirit which impregnated Mary in the giving of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Dropping down, and do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you think further, the Holy Spirit possesses all the characteristics of personality. For instance, he has a mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit has mind, and that mind can know other minds as well. He has knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2.11 For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. He knows the things of the Godhead. He possesses affection as well. You know, because I am a person, 
I can know you, I can understand you, and I can love you or hate you. Listen with regards to the Holy Spirit. Now I beg you, brethren, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers for me. The love of the Spirit. Many other things could be said about the great personality of the Spirit of God. He also has a will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, with regards to the spiritual gifts, Paul records, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, distributing to each one individually as he wills. With regards to the giving of the miraculous gifts in the first century, they were not just arbitrary, but in every place the Holy Spirit gave the gift to the person as the Spirit willed, not as individuals willed. But now I think it's important for us to understand what the Holy Spirit does. His work, the role that He occupied in the scheme of redemption appears to be the primary role of the revealer. I will tell you that when you look at the role of the Father, the role of the Son, and the role of the Holy Spirit, it appears they each have a distinction, but their roles many times do overlap. For instance, it appears that the Father is the one who is occupying the position of giving the direction to the scheme of redemption because the Son was sent. The Father gave His only begotten Son, John 3 and verse 16. It appears that the role of Jesus is that of the Savior, that He is also the one who provided man an example of how to live and be godly. And it appears that the role of the Holy Spirit primarily is to reveal truth to man. For instance, 1 Corinthians 2.10, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, it is as if the Spirit is the one to take the mind of the Godhead and reveal that to us, God's children. In Ephesians 3, Paul is going to describe his deliverance of the gospel, referred there as the mystery of God. And he will put it this way in verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. God has revealed His will to the holy apostles and prophets through the Spirit. That is, He is the agent of that. And First Peter 1 and verse 12, Peter is describing the scheme of redemption. And he says, To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which have now been reported to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. 
It is because of the Holy Spirit. That's the means, the agency, if you will, by which these apostles and prophets preached the gospel. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Literally, the word moved means to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. His word is so closely, his work is so closely associated with the word that many times as we approach the Bible, whatever the Bible says the word does, the Bible also says the spirit does. Let me just give you a couple of illustrations the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His Word was on my tongue. Notice, the Spirit speaks, the Word speaks. In Ephesians 6 and verse 17, talking about the Christian armor, he says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That which the Spirit uses to accomplish His will is the Word. The Holy Spirit also, though, has the role to intercede for man, as does Jesus. I mentioned earlier that sometimes the roles of two or more of the Godhead may overlap. We do know that we pray to the Father. That's the one to whom we're instructed to address our prayers. When it comes to the authority, that is the means by which we do that, we do so in the name of Jesus. In Christ's name we ask or we petition. As regards to an intermediary, an intercessor, Jesus is our intercessor and the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. Notice with me Romans chapter 8. Verses 26 and 27 and verse 34. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I think it's important to notice the word also there because that implies someone else also intercedes and we will see that it is Jesus. But we know that the Spirit intercedes because we are incapable of expressing everything that we wish to the Father. Have you ever tried to tell someone something and not been able to find the correct words? You know in your mind what you want to say, but you're struggling to try to express it in words. Many times as it comes to our desire to express our wishes, our love, our adoration to God, we can't always find the right words. Sometimes it's groanings that cannot be uttered. And the Spirit intercedes for us. Verse 34, he asks, Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? So the Spirit intercedes and Jesus intercedes. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him or come to God through him, since he always 
lives to make intercession for men. But the scripture says that the Spirit calls to obedience. The Spirit leads. And the Spirit indwells. I want to emphasize, it is not whether or not the Spirit does do these things, it's how He does them. We know the Spirit calls. We know the Spirit leads. We know that the Spirit indwells. But the question is, how does He do that? Does He do so by direct indwelling? Or does he do so by the influence of his teaching? We use that same terminology ourselves. Occasionally I will call someone and the son will pick up the phone and I'll call them by the father's name. They'll say, no, 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 this is the son. Well, you sound just like your daddy. I will see people and I will see their mannerisms and I will say, I can see your daddy in you. That's not strange. They train them to be who they are. When you come to the Bible and you see the indwelling, does it mean that that is there because of the influence of teaching or that it is somehow personal? The Bible uses the idea of indwelling in a number of ways. For instance, just as I was sitting on the front pew this morning, before services began, it popped into my head. I thought, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Did Satan somehow enter into Ananias and Sapphira and take over in a personal, literal way? Obviously not. It was through the temptation and through the teaching of Satan that had filled the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. Let's notice 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. Paul says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel. God chose to save us. God calls us. But now how does God call us? Am I walking through the field one day and all of a sudden I hear a voice and I'm, I'm looking around and I want to save you. Is that the way that the Bible teaches it? No. The Bible says that God calls us through the message of the gospel. Romans 8 verses 9 through 11 and verse 16. But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. I want you to observe from that passage, it was not just the Spirit who dwells in us, but in that same passage, it is also the Christ who dwells in us, and it is also the Father who dwells in us. It's not the question, does God dwell? Does Jesus dwell? Does the Spirit dwell? The manner is in which He dwells, though, is it personal, literal, or is it through His teaching? Romans 8 and verse 16. If you haven't paid attention to any other verses, listen to this one. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I've had discussions with people before on the very issue that we're discussing at this point. And here is what people say. Aha, now there's the verse. The verse says that His Spirit bears witness to our spirit. That we're... And I said, now, hold on just a second. Does it say... To or with. Look at the text carefully now. Does it say to or does it say with? Is the Holy Spirit somehow telling me personally that I'm okay? Or does my spirit, what I know from reading, studying, and everything else and what I have done... Bear witness with him also what he has taught that a person must do and how he must live in order to be saved. There's a big difference between to and with. The Spirit has his message and we have our message. And if they're in agreement, then we are children of God. The Spirit accomplishes this through his word. Very quickly now, the walk in the Spirit. One is said to walk in the Spirit when he follows the directions of the Spirit. That is, when the Spirit has provided the direction that a man must go, the pathway, the map, if you will, then we're walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, walk, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit following his directions. Some people don't. Jude verse 19. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Colossians 3, 6 and 7. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves also once walked when you lived in them. He's talking about sinful ways then. You can either walk in the Spirit or you cannot walk in the Spirit. When a person does walk in the Spirit and the Spirit indwells them, then they produce the fruit of the Spirit. I don't see why that's just so difficult for people to see. You know, Luke 8, verse 11, now the seed is the Word of God. What does the seed do? The seed indwells the earth and it produces after its kind. If it's in a good and honest heart, and the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such, there is no law. When the Ephesians read it, he said, But for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The truth is, too many are engrossed with an obsession of the miraculous work of the Spirit. Those days have passed. There was a time in which God allowed people to be enabled with miraculous gifts from the Holy Spirit. Those gifts ceased after the means by which they could be given ceased. The means by which they were given was through the laying on of an apostle's hands, Acts chapter 8. Once the apostles died, there was no one else to pass it along. After the last person died upon whom the apostles had laid their hands, there were no more miraculous gifts. Some people just want to find those miraculous gifts today. But you know, we can still grieve the Spirit of God by rejecting His revelation. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The truth is, God loves you, cares for you, sent His Son to die for you. Jesus Christ loves you. Greater love has no man than this than one lay down his life for his friends. The Holy Spirit loves you. He takes your most difficult inner struggles when you pray to God and expresses them to the Father. What greater thing could you do this morning to honor the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit than to be obedient to the gospel. We're going to end with where we started. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. If you are not yet a Christian, we want to urge you to obey the gospel. Become a child of God. If you're a straying child of God, now it's time to come back home. And let us pray with you as together we stand and sing.